welcome to the seventh episode of our Latin Mass project. This uh, episode is concerned with how the texts of the Mass are connected with one another. Once again, I have Joseph Gunyavich uh, Hello, joining Michael. me. Hi. In um, fact, I've, uh, I've, I've chosen a few case studies, if you will, Masses for us to look over and see how those texts fit together. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, so before we get into that, I just want to, let's just lay out what are we, what are we talking about? So what do we mean by the, the text being connected? All right. So you'll go to a mass, say, and the priest reads the readings and then he stands up to give his homily and he's a good priest and he's preaching on, on the readings of the day. And what is he going to do? He's probably going to bring out something from the gospel of the day. Yeah. But in the traditional Latin mass, there's very often, in fact, usually I would say, a, a theme of the whole mass that goes beyond the gospel. There's something the whole mass is trying to teach us. And even though the priest in the homily is going to focus on maybe one little part of the gospel or something like that, in fact, if you look at all the texts of the mass, you're going to see that that there's something in the whole mass taken as a whole. So I'm talking about the introit, I'm talking about the gradual, I'm talking about the communion, I'm talking about the epistle, we've, I'm talking about the All gospel. these texts we've talked about. All already, of them. Yeah. We've been going through these uh, proper texts, and and there's something that usually becomes clear when we're looking at it that the church is trying to communicate to us. Yeah, okay. So uh, let's look at this. Is there a particular mass you've You've yes. got in mind then. So I've chosen the Mass for the second Sunday of Advent. Dentroitus. Populusion, ecce dominus veniet. People of Zion, behold, the Lord shall come to save the nations. Gradual. Axion species decori seius deus manifeste veniet. Out of Zion, the loveliness of his beauty, God shall come manifestly. Gather ye together his saints to him who have set his covenant before sacrifices. Alleluia, alleluia. And then, I rejoiced at the things that were said to me, we shall go into the house of the Lord. Alleluia. Alleluia. The uh, epistle, um, which is from the uh, book, the, the, the letter to Romans, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, in the epistle, there's actually a reference to uh, Isaiah 11, where it says, um, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise up to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Right, so you can sort of see that there's a way that they're they're fitting together. You've got to think about it a little bit. Yeah. But uh, is there maybe a key word or something that, that emerges from there? I would probably have to pick out the word um, Gentiles or nations. Yeah. That to me arises to, to the top there. Uh, something about the people of God and the nations coming in. In the introit, um, we have again the people of Zion. Behold, the Lord shall come to save the nations. Right, right. So in the introit, uh, we have a reference to God coming to save the nations. And that's explicitly brought out in the epistle. And then in the gradual, we have this reference to gathering together the saints and since the coming of Christ, the nations are part of the saints, the holy people of God, right? Right. And then we have the response of the saints, of the people from the nations who have just been gathered yeah. together. I rejoiced when they said to me, what? Let us go up to the house of the Lord. Well, we were excluded from the house of the Lord, and now we're welcomed into it. 
Right. So you can see that there's a unity there that comes from from the text. And if we, we didn't have time, but if we could look at the other text there, we would see there's a general unity in the other texts. Oh, but maybe not all of them. Yeah, so we've got this theme of the Lord coming and his coming, you know, he's gathering the people to him as when he comes. Um, but the gospel, the gospel is a little different than that. It doesn't quite fit. So um, the gospel of the day is from the gospel is from Matthew, and this is when uh, John sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask him essentially if he is the Christ, and Christ responds that you know go tell him I've done all these great things, uh, and essentially saying this is the sign of my of my you know being the Christ, uh, not necessarily mentioning the Gentiles there. No, no, no. In fact, what does he say? He says something about uh, go and tell John what you have se- you have seen the the lame walk and justice is given to the poor. It's it's a it's not the sort of answer that fits into the nice tidy theme that we've that we've brought out. So then, do we have to then go back and re-examine all the propers and meditate on them and try to fit how they fit work how work out how they fit together? We can do that. I've had some very fruitful times just looking at the different propers again and again and picking out elements, maybe elements that have to do with my own spiritual life or elements that have to do with where we're at in the calendar. But I don't think that it's really necessary for us to do the work in this case because I think that the key to understanding this text is already given, but not in the Mass. I think that there's another text we have to look at, another liturgical text, and that's the Matins text. Okay, so what what is this then? Well, so the Matins text is from Isaiah 11. In fact, we had just quoted from Isaiah 11 in the yeah, epistle. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the Matins text is that famous text of about the Messiah, where Isaiah says that 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 of uh um there shall come out a rod from the root of Jesse, and that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So this rod uh, from the root of Jesse, uh, and there's and and the flower upon the root, as it says, has the spirit of the Lord in its person, and then it lists the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. And after that, it says, he shall judge the poor with justice and shall reprove with equity the meek of the earth and begins to describe the justice that he's going to bring out. So, you know, the the calf and the bear shall feed together and the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the child shall put his hand in the uh, hole of the asp. And he sh- shall not be bitten in this beautiful world of harmony that he's describing. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with saying, In that day the root of Jesse, that standeth for an ensign of the people, him the Gentiles shall beseech. So what do we see here? That's straight, that's straight in the epistle. So we see the line straight in the in the epistle about about the Gentiles, and we see the whole theme of the Gentiles being drawn out of that. Yeah, and the theme of the gospel is too. I mean, we notice the parallel between the the uh, the justice that the Lord is working for the poor and the prophecy the Lord will work justice for the poor. Yeah. And even though the rest isn't exactly the same, 
clearly we're talking in symbolic language when we're talking about the lion and the lamb lying together, right? Yeah. Where really what Christ is saying is, look, I'm bringing harmony and justice to the world. Mm-hmm. He's referencing back to Isaiah yeah. and saying, tell John what you see, right? So the gospel itself is is sort of taking a reflection upon that, but it's showing how it's fulfilled. Yes, right. He's saying, look, here's the kingdom. It's come. That's right. That's right. So the Matins reading is the key to it. Okay. All right. So we're talking about Matins. Uh, what, what, what is Matins? Oh, yeah. So uh, I guess I guess I just sort of threw that term out there. Yeah. Uh, Matins is part of the divine office. And the divine office is uh, eight different prayers during the day. They're called hours, but each one doesn't take an hour. Mm-hmm. And they're said um, – Matins is the nighttime office. It's also sometimes called vigils. And they're said that's said before dawn. And so you have this cycle of 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 what are called hours. And it comes from the scriptures. In Psalm 118, it says, Seven times during the day I will rise to sing your praise. Yeah. And in a different verse it says, And I will rise in the middle of the night to praise you. Hmm. And so the church meditating on this has instituted these seven daytime hours and one nighttime hours that are really nothing else than chanting the Psalms. So the essence of it, since at least about the 5th or 6th century, the essence of the divine office, as it's called, is the chanting of the whole Psalter of 150 Psalms over the course of a week. So then what exactly is Matins? How is that particularly special hour of prayer? So... So if the day is kind of goes back and forth on lauds and vespers, then you would say the night depends on on matins. Hmm. Like I said, it's the nighttime office, and it's the longest office in the Roman tradition. It's um, nine psalms, and in the monastic tradition, it's twelve psalms. But hmm. regardless. For comparison, the daytime hours are three psalms, yeah. and they're generally shorter psalms. And uh, lauds and vespers are five psalms. So this is longer, but it's not just the psalms. It's also sometimes called the office of readings yeah, because it's marked by lengthy readings from the scriptures and also from the church fathers. Hmm. And it's that scripture reading – that I cited earlier, that I talked about. Okay. Um, that scripture reading would traditionally have been read before the mass began, and um, in fact, for in some places and times, part of your Sunday obligation would have been good to go to matins, and you would have heard this reading before the mass began. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, Amon Duffy, in his wonderful book, *The Stripping of the Altars*, he says that. It was part of the Sunday obligation in the 15th century English provinces that they had to go to matins on Sunday. So they would have heard this reading. Mm -hmm. Now, most people going to mass don't hear the matins reading, um, and they might not even be aware of the liturgy of the divine office because maybe it's not sung at their parish. Maybe they've never encountered it. But in fact, the liturgy of the divine office is is um kind of forms a unity with the mass. So the unity of the mass is is spelled out by the divine office, and the divine office 
uh, carries over the uh, text of the Mass. So, for instance, on Sunday, first the Vespers, uh, the Magnificat, and the Benedictus Antiphons are going to come directly out of the Gospel from the Sunday Mass. So the Mass and the Divine Office, they are both part of the Church's liturgy then. Right, right. And this liturgy is the Lord's Jesus's praise of the Father. Okay. And at the Mass, this happens through him offering himself under the form of bread and wine as uh, as the victim for our sins. It's a sacrifice of praise. Exactly. But the Psalms are also a participation in this sacrifice of praise. Because Jesus, when he was on earth, he prayed the Psalms. We have the uh, account in Luke of him spending all night in prayer. And the book of Hebrews says that he prayed with, with loud, with loud cries and with tears to the, to the Lord. So we know that he prayed. Well, what did he pray? Well, as a Jewish man, he would have prayed the Psalms. He would have prayed some of the Psalms and praise of God at the beginning of the day. Psalm 148, 149, 150. He would have prayed uh, various Psalms throughout the day and he would have memorized the Psalter. In fact, so many of the Psalms are, when you understand them properly, they're actually in the voice of Christ. They're Christ speaking to hmm. his Father. My yeah. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's just one example of Christ praying the Psalms in, in the Scriptures as his voice speaking to the Father. So when the Church prays the Psalms, she's not praying the Psalms as individual Christians or on her own authority. She's entering into that same prayer that Jesus prayed when he was on earth, that same sacrifice of praise that he gave to the Father. So then she's able to take all of the needs, her needs, and all the needs of her children, us, and all the needs of the world, and she's able to entrust them to her ambassadors, to take them before the throne of God, and offer all the needs with the praises to the Father in the very words of Christ, Mm -hmm. in this acceptable prayer. Acceptable, why? Because Jesus himself prayed it. Yeah, that's beautiful. So in the Mass, Christ prays in the divine office. Ultimately, it's the church praying in Christ. Right. We're always praying within and through Christ. Everything that we're doing in the liturgy, we're doing, it's one Christ in his body on earth in the church and in his body in heaven. Praying one Christ, praying to the Father. So let's go back to this connection then. Is it always this easy to see the the way that the text of the Mass are connected? I mean, we've picked one Sunday. Is there uh, can we see this in other Sundays too? For instance, I've heard many people complain that the introit doesn't seem to make any sense to them <laughs> when they're praying the Mass, and sometimes you have to work to see the unity of the Mass. If you're just, especially if you're just dealing with the prayers of the Mass and you're not looking at the texts of the Divine Office yeah, at all. Right. If you uh, look at the second case that I brought forward, it's from the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Okay. And I think that if we look there, we'll see the texts don't seem to make as much sense together. So here's the introit. Exaudi Domine voce mea. Hear, O Lord, my voice, with which I have cried to thee. Be thou my helper, forsake me not, nor do thou despise me, O God, my Savior. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then from the gradual, Protector noster aspice Deus et respice super servos tuos. It says, Behold, O God, our protector, and look on thy servants. O Lord, God of hosts, give ear to the prayers of thy servants. Alleluia, alleluia. In thy strength, O Lord, the king shall joy, and in thy salvation he shall rejoice exceedingly. Alleluia. So we maybe have a connection between the gradual and the introit, but then they're throwing in something about a king here. That kind of comes right out of... Right out of left field. It's, you, yeah. just, you don't see it coming. Um, so, and, and also the verse in the introit, it, first of all, he's crying out to the Lord. Yeah. And then he says something uh, completely different. Be thou different. my helper, forsake me not, nor do thou despise me, O God, my Savior. And then it says, uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. So suddenly very different emotions there. And then we yeah. throw in something about a king. Right. right? Yeah. So if you're meditating on this all on your own, you might be able to work something out of it and, sure. and get some benefit. But if you look at the what it's the Matins reading okay. is, you're going to it's going to make a lot more sense. So when we turn to the Matin reading, Matins reading, this is from the second book of Samuel, which in the Latin tradition is called the second book of Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is from chapter one, and it tells the story of how David finds out that Saul that he's had this very complicated relationship with, yeah. and Jonathan, whom he says he loved more than women, and mm-hmm. for David, that's saying something quite big, <laughs> right? He finds out that they've been killed. Yeah. And in fact, um, a man comes to him. He makes up this story. He fabricates this story about how he saw, saw Saul on the mountain and Saul had fallen on his spear, but Saul wasn't dead. And Saul said, come and kill me and how he'd gone and killed him. And David responds. The man clearly thought that that David would be pleased because he'd killed his, his right, the man yeah. who was pursuing him. David responds by rending his garments and fasting and mourning. Then he calls the man to him. And he determines to put him to death for laying his hand on the Christ, mm-hmm. right, on the anointed one. Yep. And then he sings this incredible lament, which is taken up in the Magnificat Antiphon and probably the most haunting Magnificat Antiphon. This lament where he talks to the mountains of Jalboa, where Saul was killed, and he says, let not do or rain fall upon you. And then he cries out, oh, Saul, oh, Jonathan. And he he cries out for them. Well, let's take that as the backdrop for the Mass. Okay. Now, look at the introit again. Okay, so from the introit once more. Ask who's speaking. Right. So the speaker, again, is important. So the introit is, hear, O Lord, my voice, with which I have cried to thee. Be thou my helper, forsake me not. So hear, O Lord, my voice was with I have cried to me to thee. That's that's the Magnificat Antiphon. He said, Oh Jonathan, oh Saul, so dear in, in life they were not separated in death. That's the voice that he's cried to the Lord with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And he says, Forsake me not, nor do thou despise me, O God my Saviour. And then he switches. Well, remember at this point, mm-hmm. um, because of the death of Saul, David's now now has a lot more responsibilities on his shoulders. So right. he's been crying out to God. And he says, "Don't 
don't don't forsake me but then he says yes and then he says the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear yes whom shall i fear so now he's responding with confidence all right okay. so go on uh then um the gradual uh behold o god our protector and look on thy servants o lord god of hosts give ear to the prayers of thy servants and then the alleluia uh, in thy strength, O Lord, the king shall joy, and in thy salvation he shall rejoice exceedingly. Right, right. So now, uh, the the prayer, we have more of that, that prayer, right? Yeah. But now, the mention about the king makes sense, because he's kind of processing what's been going on. He's lost his closest friend, he's lost this father figure that was also kind of a very mixed person to him, but was the Lord's anointed, and now he has all this extra responsibility, and what? Suddenly he's king. Yeah. So now we have that king. In the Latin, it's rex. Mm-hmm. And then the next word is et, and. Yes. And this amazing thing happens in Latin. The, the liturgical texts are not just words. They're music as, as well. The Latin et becomes this long et with noom after noom after noom above it, note after note after note. And it just goes on and on and on. He's realized, I'm king, and... Go ahead. In thy salvation, he shall rejoice exceedingly. And in thy salvation, he shall rejoice exceedingly. Remember, the salvation is Jesus. David is the Christ, but he's pointing to the true Christ, right? Yeah. So the Mass is always taking the old, the, what happened in the past and applying it to Jesus and morally to us. So, so we kind of are also making that transition David shall rejoice exceedingly because of the care of the Lord, but what shall he rejoice in? In in the salvation. Yeah. And furthermore, so we've got those three texts, but then you've got more. So first, it's in the epistle. Um, It says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. So there you've got, of course, the messenger. That's right. Uh, coming in, saying his lies. And if you would see long days of life, well, the messenger the messenger yes. died. And so now there's a moral lesson. It's applying that story to us, right? Yeah. And then also let him decline from evil and do good. Let him seek after peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are upon the just right. and his ears unto their prayers. But the countenance of the Lord upon, uh, but the countenance of the Lord upon them that do evil things. Um, and so there you've also got not only the messenger, but Saul himself who Saul. met his death. So the epistle is speaking to us and asking us to apply the lesson of David and the story to our life. Yeah. And that becomes, I think, even more clear in the gospel. Right. So the gospel has, uh, this is part of it at least, it says, You have heard that it was said to them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, and whoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Right. And we might be tempted to say, okay, well, this messenger, he lied about killing the Lord's anointed, killing the Lord's Christ, and Saul, oh, he disobeyed God. And, but, you know, these people are, 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 we're talking about murder here, and we're talking yeah. about big lies and stuff. Well, Jesus is perfecting the law. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So here, the story is really applied to us in the teaching of Christ. If if you, oh Christian, you say that you are innocent, 
But if you have been wrathful toward your brother, you too are, are guilty. And if you have called your brother fool, you will, will be liable to Gehenna, right? So, so it's, it, it really is an, an explication an interpretation an application of the story that we had just read at matins yeah and so just to finish off the offertory and communion i think give a nice uh sort of further conclusion on that theme of joy and rejoicing in god so it says for the offertory i will bless the lord who hath given me understanding i set god always in my sight for he is at my right hand that i be not moved we're now making a transition into David realizing that, that he now has to govern and he's going to govern with the understanding that God has given him and he's rejoicing in God's right hand, right? Now we also can apply this to Christ, to apply this to Christ and to yeah. what Christ gives to us. Um, Christ, of course, is re- rejoicing in the strength of the Lord, even in the terrible times. He's not going to be held back. But then also, he is the right hand of God for us. Um, so we, we have that application to David's life. At this moment in David's history, he is now turning to have to trust in the Lord, but he's doing so with expectation and rejoicing. But then we have the application to Christ and to us. Right. And then the communion, one thing I've asked of the Lord, this will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So David's great desire is that he be able to build a, a temple for the Lord, right, a house yeah. for the Lord. And and this is what he's longing for at the in this verse. He's now king, and he says, this one thing do I long for, to build the tabernacle of the Lord, to build the house of the Lord, and to, to, to live there all the days of my life. Now, this is placed at communion explicitly to show the real meaning of this text because david never was able to build this house and he was never able to Mm, live in that house um it was solomon that built the temple but this is saying the real temple is the eucharist that we are all we are all to receive so it's applying the text once again in the christian uh in the christian revelation to um the life of the church into the life of Christ. Right? Yeah, and you've you've got that theme that ends the gospel that I haven't read, but um, what Christ says: If therefore thou offer thy gift at the altar, and there thou remember that thy brother hath anything against thee, leave there thy offering before the altar, and go first to be reconciled to thy brother, and then coming thou shalt offer the gift. So there's that kind of theme of harmony in worship that's necessary for the true right. building of you know that house of God and the praise of so God. So Christ interprets David's passion for true worship. So all of this was made clear once we looked at the the, the Matins reading. Right, yeah. Once we incorporated the entire liturgy of the church, but someone could very easily say, well, that is a whole lot of work that you just <laughs> did. <laughs> that's, that's something very hard, and I can't go through that. Well, I only began learning to look at the texts in in the office very recently. And Mm. the fact is there are so many different levels that you can approach this in. When you're looking at the texts of the Mass and you're meditating on it, the Holy Spirit has a way of speaking to you in so many different ways. And there's so many different 
it's multivalent. There's so many different aspects that you can see, so many different ways that the that the prayers can speak to you alone and uh, together and in harmony and stuff. Yeah. And it's not necessary for you to have an exhaustive understanding of all of these. In fact, we didn't do an exhaustive understanding of no. either the second Sunday of Advent or um and or the the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. We didn't look at everything that there could be. One of the beautiful things of the Roman liturgy is the way that you can never exhaust the liturgical texts. Yeah. It's going to say how rich there's so much depth in it. They are very um, rich. They're very rich and they're not isolated. It's not just the gospel, but they, they all speak to you in a way when they're put together that they can't quite with a voice that they don't have when they're yeah. when they're apart. So I think it's maybe difficult to to sort of enter into it at first, but once you do, once you break the surface, perhaps there's so much to go to that um you know, it can be there is an ease in it, I think, once you break into it. And of course, uh with Chesterton we could say if it's worth being done, it's worth being done badly. In this <laughs> case in this case, to just be at mass, even maybe not even to read the text, but just to be there. That's the first thing. Becoming sure. acquainted with with the rhythms of the mass and the sense of it. Then to read a text here or there. If you're going to be going through this cycle, you know, I I don't know how many more times in your life, but right, but, yeah. but many many times in your life, there's time for the Lord to bring out the fruits of of it over Absolutely. time. Yeah, you yeah. don't you don't have to approach this as an intellectual exercise, or think that if you're not getting the if if the texts are impenetrable, somehow you're not doing it right. You know, the, this is yeah. the mass is meant to speak to everybody where they're at, and some people are just at you know one point of maybe reading one of the texts or something, and some people are trying to dig deeper into it. But I'm just trying to show the way that that there's this richness in all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Joseph. It's very uh, enlightening. Thank you very much, Michael.